This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines fast? Be off book for auditions? Explore your characters and make stronger choices? There's an app for that. Rehearsal 2. Download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. Hello and welcome to episode 162 of Inside Acting. My name is Trevor Elgott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And on this podcast, we interview actors, writers, directors, agents, managers, producers, casting directors, um, filmmakers, aerialists, personal finance gurus, fitness gurus, voiceover artists, anybody at all involved with the entertainment industry in any way, shape, or form. We sit down, we ask them questions, we record it, we stick it out there on the intertubes. Uh, between sandwiched between uh, us chatting about ourselves for your listening pleasure. Boom. <laughs> there it is. Uh, and as you can tell, we are just two dudes with a podcast. So uh, we started this podcast because we were looking for the answers, not because we have them. So if you'd like to contribute your two cents, send us an email, send us a voicemail. There's all kinds of ways to get involved with this community of actors and artists that we are creating here. And you can start doing that at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. And on today's episode, we have the third and final part of my chat with filmmaker Eric Englund. This is a really great series, and part three is possibly the most kind of heartfelt touching part. So make sure you guys stick around. That's coming up later uh, in the episode. Trevor, hello. We're back in act. Oh, hello, hello. It's a, uh, it's, it's, it's sexy Trevor. Sexy today. Trevor. <laughs> okay, scary Trevor. <laughs> sexy, scary Trevor. Sexy. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, uh, how are you, man? I'm good. We, you were saying before we started recording, like it feels like it's been a long time, but it really hasn't. It, you know, it, it it hasn't, but it kind of has because we usually only record like four or five days apart and this time it's been like almost like a little over a week i think uh and a lot's happened i mean you you went to the you went camping you went to the people's climate march in new york city i mean there's a lot of a lot of things that i want to hear about like four hundred thousand people were at the one in new york city yeah uh i don't i don't know how many were at the one in new york city specifically i know that like six hundred and fifty thousand people marched worldwide and there were marches in like 163 different countries or something like that. It was pretty, it was pretty amazing. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the, the, the outcry, so to speak, from people to get, you know, our delegates and specifically in this case, the UN mm-hmm. to really listen up and, and make some, make some changes. Um, so it was cool. Yeah. It, it, it was here in New York, it was obviously massive, and um, the New York march is actually the one that uh, Al Gore marched in. He was, yeah, it's part of the march here, as well as you know, 
uh, I think Ed Norton. Yeah, Mark Ruffalo was Mark there. Mark Ruffalo, yeah. It was cool. I think so, Leonardo DiCaprio even marched, in, in addition to speaking at the, in addi- uh, I was the gonna UN say, Summit. Yeah, he had that great speech at the... Yeah. At the at the summit the <clears throat> the the energy was was great it was like to get that many people together from all different you know and, and because it was so massive in new york you had people coming from all over like there were people that were representing miami mm. and, wow. and 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 places all over the northeast uh, and new england so you you had this really interesting diverse group of people all coming together for this one cause and it was very you know peaceful I think I heard about one uh, sort of incident that happened after the march but other than that it was very you know people were it was very peaceful and uh, the uh, the New York City Police Department who are for the most part pretty cool with anything i mean if you think about it they've been through some crazy stuff and so i feel like they have a a certain humanity Mm, that mm -hmm. that maybe you don't see in a lapd officer i could be i mean i'm grossly generalizing but um they they've seen some shit (laughs) sure um so for instance there was this um they did a moment of silence for a minute during the march and it coincided with the global meditation for peace that we mentioned on the podcast before no way yeah which was really cool so you imagine like tens of thousands of people marching around you and all of a sudden everybody's quiet mm, that's really cool we're just walking and all you can hear is like you know the occasional car or the occasional kid that doesn't know it's a moment of silence and it, i don't know it was yeah. in the middle of new york city that is amazing so, that, that you could get hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people to all be quiet at the same time for a minute. Uh-huh. How did and they then, organize that? Did somebody get on a, a megaphone or something? Like, how did they? How no, did it was know? in the um, <clears throat> it was in the notes for oh, the okay. for the march itself. So you had to have that information beforehand. Gotcha. But so many people knew that when they that by the time it came, the people that knew were able to tell the people that didn't to like be quiet. <laughs> so there was a lot of. <laughs> There's a lot of shushing going on leading up to the minute. And then there was the moment of silence. But one of the things they talked about doing in the march was to, after the moment of silence, uh, make as much noise as possible. Mm. People were, like, yelling and screaming. And the cops, the New York City cops, um, turned on their sirens oh, on their cars. Cool. For just a second. Just like a little, whoop, whoop, you know. But yeah. it was, it was I don't know. It, it, I, I was marching with Jasmine and, and, a, and a friend of ours from Heather's and... Um, we, we just got a kick out of that, you know. Like that's how that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. Not 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 tear gas and rubber bullets and yeah, you know riot, yeah. riot gear. You know, we, we were there for for in solidarity for for a very specific reason, and it it, it was cool. It, I, I heard this um, this older gentleman talking on the subway on my way home later in the day, <clears throat> and he was telling these guys these. Um, I think they were like bike riders or something. They said, he was saying, you know, I was at Woodstock. Like I went to Woodstock and he said, I got to say that this, this March and this movement, it feels like that time. Like there was a time in this country, there's been these specific points in this country specifically. And, 
not necessarily across the entire globe, um, except for maybe the 24-hour concert that Gore put together in 2007. But <clears throat> there was this time in this country where we were sort of banded together to end the war in Vietnam. Then there was a time in this country where we were banded together because we were attacked by you know, terrorists. And then this, he said it, it had that feeling of of solidarity that's cool and the fact that it happened across the whole world is 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 really cool yeah and you know it feels different i mean this climate thing has been going on for a long time and and al gore's you know and his whole organization has been kind of fighting this battle for a long time and there's been environmentalists for decades kind of you know hugging trees and and talking about the damage we're doing um but this feels to me like it's we're getting close to that tipping point where everybody finally acknowledges that we need to live far more consciously than we have been. And I think that what's so cool is that uh, the 24 hours of climate reality thing that I was watching online was every hour they focused on a reason for hope. And it was such a nice kind of tr- change from the typical, like, you know, uh, there's this much carbon in the atmosphere now. And, you know, if we rise, if we raise another degree Celsius, you know, we're all fucked. And, Instead of that, it was like, can you believe that this entire country has gone to solar power? Or can you believe that we've cut out this much, you know, such and such pollution from the environment? And it was all like positive spins on things. And, and I fe- the way I felt reading about all this and then hearing about the success of the climate march was like, oh, my God, this this could happen. Like, this could actually work because it wasn't such a sort of negative doom and gloom thing. Oh, man. Uh, anyway, dude, we've just talked for like 10 minutes about climate stuff. What's going on in your world uh, acting-wise? Uh, yeah, well, I did I did go camping, yeah. <laughs> like you mentioned. I also, yeah. had, uh, I also had uh, a few different meetings um, this past week. Um, <clears throat> I had my one for uh, Broadway and another one for like a... Uh, sort of like a summer stock type thing where it's like two weeks of rehearsal and you put up a, a musical for a couple of weeks. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And, and then I, I had an audition for, um, or a meeting for the following that show with yeah. Kevin Bacon that, that actually shoots here in, in, in New York. And apparently that's a difficult office to get into. So I was happy to get in there and <clears throat> take a shot of booking the office and, and, um, the, uh, the casting director said after I was done with the first take said that was perfect I have no notes so and and it was on tape so I haven't heard anything so um, you know obviously it was up to the producers but I'm 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 hoping that was good enough to like I said book the office yeah um if not book the role so are you doing postcards or any sort of kind of follow-up or campaign of any kind with uh, um, these things i'm i'm not on a sort of global level what i do get to do and it's definitely on my like um to-do list as an actor is follow up with these very specific um people because like my agents are my new agents are getting me feedback which is nice so i know for instance that the casting director for that saw me for Aladdin uh, really liked me and thought that I did a good job and I was well prepared and all that stuff. So it wouldn't it's it, it, it wouldn't hurt to send a thank you and 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 um, you know keep me in her mind so to speak. Um, that being that being said, 
you know, <clears throat> I I know that actors feel like you know there needs to be some kind of proactive something like here I am, this is who I am, reminding people of who you are, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But two things: number one, casting directors have a really good memory, and number two, if you have good representation and they see a role that's right for you, they're going to submit you. So even if the casting director doesn't remember, oh, that one guy will be good for this one role, the, the agents will remind them. And this eight, and I, I think I said this before on the podcast, but the, eight, the agency that I just recently signed with, they are very good at pitching. So How do you, how do you know that? <clears throat> um, because they have not only told me but it's sort of um it's sort of known in the general zeitgeist of have new a, york they have a reputation they have a reputation being of being for being yes for being the kind of people who pick up the phone uh, or who send an email and pitch their clients cool which is great because that means that they're hardworking and they're you know they're doing their best to get you know uh Get you, <clears throat> get you in the room. So to play devil's advocate, uh, I, I mean, I agree with you. Like, casting directors have excellent memory, and uh, if you've got representation that's kind of go getters and they're they're you know submitting you consistently on things, that's great. But at the same time, I feel like a postcard campaign. And uh, you know, I know the postcard thing is there's arguments on both sides of the fence, you know, for and against it. But mm-hmm. I feel like it's great to sort of proactively <clears throat> build that relationship on an individual level and just remind them that you're busy. Because even if they, you know, if the agent gets around to submitting you once every couple months or every couple weeks, it still could be that like, oh, you know, this actor just has good representation and they're just kind of waiting for the phone to ring. But if you are consistently reminding them that you're around, they may work a lot harder to get you in front of producers than just an agent getting you in the room every few weeks or every few months. Mm-hmm. Um, does that, what do you think about that? That, that? No, that's a great point. It's a, it's a it's a great point and i'm not i want to be clear that i'm not poo-pooing sending postcards i'm just saying be i'm just saying be be specific yeah really is what i'm saying because you know i i we 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 talked about the shotgun versus sniper rifle analogy and i i don't i don't know how effective especially since it depends going back to Sheila Guthrie again <clears throat> and all of the casting directing casting director offices being run like their own little you know small business I I don't know how effective a massive you know um, you know postcard blast is you know that being said uh, Ben has tracked <clears throat> his results and he notices an uptick in, in auditions when he when he does them yeah totally. so for him for him they have been they have been effective but i wonder and i think this is actually true what i'm about to say i wonder if he has a very specific curated list oh yeah i know he does yeah yeah so that's what <clears throat> that's what i mean it's like it doesn't it doesn't behoove you to send to every single casting director in the world or every single casting director in the world that you're in. Oh, totally uh, right. So LA, LA industry, New York industry, it doesn't behoove you to do that. But to say like, hey, hi, I, you know, I was just in for you. 
for Aladdin. I just wanted to say thanks. Blah 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 blah. Whatever. That's great. Yeah. And that is what I'm. That's what I'm. What I'm interested. Exactly. In. I. I, yeah, I think postcards are very effective once you've met them or built a relationship or at least you know planted the seed. But I think just a blind submission like, hey, I know you are a casting office. And I'm an actor, and just kind of blindly doing that, I feel like that's the kind of stuff that goes straight in the trash. Right. But, you know, if you've met them once or twice, and you are sending postcards on a sort of regular regular schedule, uh, I feel like that's the kind of thing where they go, oh, yeah, I like this guy. And they instead of throwing your postcard in the trash, they put it up on their cork board of, you know, actors to keep in, in mind. You're on their, their actual cork board or their cork board in their brain? Sure. <laughs> yeah, but a curated list, absolutely. I, I would definitely... You know, for time and energy's sake, uh, caution against yeah. maybe you caution against a, a sort of massive campaign. Like, just go with the people that you that are working on shows you want to work on that you've managed to build a relationship with. It. And if you haven't managed to build a relationship with them yet, maybe look at just pulling up the money to get into a, a workshop just to meet them and get in front of them and shake their hand and say hi and look in their eyes, and then start the postcard thing with that particular mm-hmm. office. But you know, I mean, that's only sending out like twelve postcards every six weeks. You know, at the most, if you've right. got more than like ten people on your target list, you might want to pare it back. At just my personal thoughts, because mm. mm-hmm. uh, as they say, scattered focus equals scattered results. Yeah, and also having a reason to reach out to them. You you said that earlier that you know when you send them out, it's like reminding them that you're working. Yeah, <clears throat> or reminding them that you know what you're up to uh, is important. And uh, I I don't yet have anything specific going on right this second there are irons in the fire that will come to fruition soon and so i'm at this point where i'm like okay do i do i move ahead creating my own thing as we you know uh so often encourage people to do on the podcast or do i you know would it be uh you know the kind of would i create a stop start scenario for myself there because i have these other things uh forthcoming mm-hmm. like the short film and et cetera, et cetera. so yeah. that's all part of the conversation right now and it's not it's not like any of that is stopping me from doing anything that i want to do it's just uh, uh, you know it's just trying to be smart about it that's all cool cool <clears throat> right on, dude. well you've got momentum going right now and um clearly your your approach is yielding results so that's really exciting got uh, a few minutes we've already talked for like 15 minutes and uh i want to make sure that this this episode isn't terribly long so from our list of uh kind of emails and things um i'm i thought we'd talk about the second item we have here from a listener named matt uh we've talked about this many times before but just kind of in the postcard uh kind of conversation in that kind of yeah, world it's, good. it's a good segue yeah yeah matt says uh he wants to he wrote to us and he had a couple things to say But he wanted to talk about workshops, and he says that he personally has made it a goal to meet with as many head casting directors through workshops in the next year as possible. He's never been called in from one, but almost every actor that he knows who's been on a network drama or comedy 
has at least one credit that came directly from a relationship that person built through a workshop. And he just kind of wanted to know our thoughts. And, and yeah, this is something we've talked about time and time again on the show. But I have to uh, to go with my experience lines up with Matt. That I, I, I know two types of actors, very kind of generally speaking. One of them are the people that are very anti-workshop. You know, those greedy casting directors will never get my money kind of thing. I'm not going to be taken or conned or scammed. And then there's another set of actors that are like, well, it's sort of a necessary evil. And almost all those actors that just pay the money and do the workshops in a very specific and targeted way, not just going out there to feel productive. They're actually, they've actually got a plan and a target list and all that. Those actors are working. They're working. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other ones typically aren't. Now, I'm generalizing. It's, of course, not 100% across the board, but it definitely is a trend uh, in both directions. So uh, that's been my experience, too, Matt. Um, I wonder, have you had something, anything similar in, in your experience, AJ? Um, I mean, n- not not personally. I've never been, I don't think I've ever been called in from a from a workshop before. Uh, and I, I, I do have, I do have friends that have gotten called in or booked uh, from meeting a, a casting director. I, because of the types of workshops that I've chosen to go to, I, I more often hear about my friends booking from meeting, um, you know, uh, uh, producers and directors and, and, and that kind of thing in, um, the work, you know, uh, the workshop that, that Ben and I have talked about in, in LA, uh, Howie Gold's, Gold's Gold's workshop. Now what's, what's funny about that is I'm, I'm actually going to have to call myself a, a liar right now because in that same workshop, I did in fact meet a casting director because he had a casting director come in once, which is really rare. Uh, that casting director brought me in to audition for life partners, which I eventually booked. So, um, and I think, yeah, I'm actually, I'm a complete liar. Because uh, I just realized that there is a connection, albeit a, a lot more um, thin, there is a connection between that workshop and Broken Horses as well. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's right. We talked about this. Yeah, but but I w- but I will say that it goes along with what you were saying, which uh, I was going to say if you didn't, which is the thing about being specific. Yeah, and and targeted because you know the reason I chose to go to that workshop and and not necessarily a lot of casting director workshops is because I knew the caliber and quality of people that Howie would bring in the thing that i would say specifically to what matt says in his in his uh, email to us he says very specifically many as many head casting directors through workshops in the next year as possible the problem with that is that uh, some places and this is where you must do your research some of these places these cast these cd workshop places will actually say yes this person this this casting director is coming in and what they're really saying is that their office is coming in, and and then what you yeah. end up doing is acting for an associate or an assistant, which is not a bad thing, unless your goal is spelled out like it is with Matt's email, as many head casting directors as possible. Yeah, so. it's very specific. Yeah, yeah, cool. Man. <clears throat> I mean, this is something we could talk about for a long time, but I think that the the general gist is yeah, specificity. It's it's the difference between sending a mass email to 200 of your closest quote-unquote closest friends asking them to come see your play or something 
and the difference between taking the time to email each of them individually, like maybe the 10 most important people that you want there, connecting with them individually, calling them individually and saying, it'd mean a lot to me if you were here. I mean, what's going to get more results and what's going to be, right. what's going to get more meaningful results. Um, right. so I think that's, that's really the way to go about it. It's just a personal connection, a well thought out connection, a planned connection is always going to be more effective in the long run. And you're going to feel more satisfied doing it. You're not going to feel like a skeevy actor salesperson trying to just kind of slap pasta on the wall and see what sticks, you know? Yeah. Um, cool. Exactly. Ma- Matt, thank you for the, for the, uh, for the question. It's always great to kind of revisit this because we always seem to have a new spin because from month to month, we are really different people as we learn and grow and evolve in this industry. So it's always cool to kind of take a look at the same things through a different lens. Anything else you want to add before we roll into the interview? Oh, man. Okay. That's good. All right. Cool, man. So this is my third and final part with... um, Third and final... Let me rephrase that. That sounds (laughs) strange. The third and final part of my three-part chat with filmmaker Eric Englund. Uh, As you guys have heard in the first two parts, Eric is a great dude, very generous, giving spirits, uh, interesting journey. And definitely a hard worker with a lot of kind of knowledge, experience, and wisdom to share. So uh, enjoy this third and final part, wrapping it up, and we'll catch you guys on the other side. We had uh, Dre Weber on the show recently, yeah. and she's a filmmaker and an actress, and she's in all the P90X videos, which I'm just a total fanboy of. Nice. And um, and she's, she told us that 1% of every feature film that ever gets made gets distribution. Probably. So one out of every 100 actually, actually gets distribution, and then wow. one out of that 100 actually makes its money back wow uh and so she and she's and then just hearing you break it down by the numbers just now it's just like oh geez you know like why and i asked her this too and she said because you can't not do it yeah but i want to ask you too why if it's such a difficult sort of like no guarantees thing yeah why do it why do it i mean those numbers are not encouraging no it's it's not i mean i think you know it's it's like why why do people go skydiving why do people you know it's like it's it's a bug it's a bug you know it's like when when you're an artist it's you're you're that kid that's beating on the drum set in his garage driving the neighborhood nuts and it's like one day that guy grows up to be dave grohl you know it's like it's (laughs) it's like the the odds are completely stacked against you and that's why when i meet a lot of young filmmakers um, you know, I tell them, I'm like, man, if you, if you can't sleep at night and, and, you know, you're tossing and turning to be a filmmaker, but if you sleep with a clear conscience and you, you wake up, you know, snug as a bug and you love your life every day and, you know, you, you can't wait to go eat breakfast and do all this. It's like, don't be a filmmaker. Cause like the, the, the people who really have to tell stories are the ones that sleep with a pad and pen next to them who wake up and write the ideas down and, you mm-hmm. know, they, they don't get sleep and they're running on Red Bull and coffee and, you know, and, and. They, they they don't have a social life. 
they're committed to their work and it's like you know it, it, it sucks because it's like there there's some there are some people who look at that existence and they're like man i could never do that you know but at the same time i i envy people who wake up you know like we were talking about in arkansas you know people who wake up at the crack of dawn they go to work they they work really hard they come home they feel very validated in their work they they feel like they did something very productive today and they they take it easy they cook dinner and they go to bed you know it's a very mm. simple life and you know in in a weird way i envy that you know I, I i wish i could do that but you know i i love the uh chaos but controlled chaos of of my life knowing that i have a million things to do every day and and i have meetings that pop up and things i forget and um you know and, and projects that i have to do you know it's like i i'm i'm constantly writing several things at one time as soon as i you know leave here i'm gonna go back to writing my next movie and mm. um which i'm behind on and um so you know it's like i i i, I stay awake at night like i you know i i was telling you i just shot a short film in arkansas just for fun like and i haven't done that in years mm. um i try to shoot a halloween short every year and i didn't do it last year because i I was just so bogged down with touring the world with contracted and um you know i was like i'm gonna do it this year and and i hadn't shot in arkansas since madison county and i was like you know what i i got some buddies in arkansas the film community's built up a little bit since i've been there i was like let's let's go shoot something and have fun and and it was a blast and it was so fun to do it just with no pressure you know and it was like but at the same time as soon as we wrapped i'm like like I was so laid back I didn't show up with a shot list. That's how laid back I was. As a director, I'm very meticulous and I have every shot yeah. in my head. Just and I was like, yeah, yeah, I was like, I'll just figure it out on the set. Yeah. You know, it's like this will be the this will be the thing. It was very loose, just for fun, you know. And and then I was like kicking myself at the end of the day. I was like, shit, I should have made a shot list. <laughs> I should have done this. And and I was yeah. like, that's that's how I think your life is as a filmmaker, is or as an artist in general, is like the littlest things matter to you because you care, you know. And mm-hmm. it's like some people call it anal, some people call it you know neurotic and it's like all those traits every artist i meet they they're all different people but they all have similarities and those similarities are that they they care about what they do and and care to an extreme extent and that's why we do it and it's like i honestly believe that most artists and and that's another thing i tell people all the time if you come out here for money don't come out here be a banker like you said yeah it's like go go play the stock market go do something you know that that's a little more secure because if you move out here saying oh i want to be a famous actor and i want to make tons of money you know, then you're probably not here for the right reasons and you may not ever get what you want because I, I've certainly, you know, seen it in my own personal circles that fame does not always equal money. You know, I know tons mm-hmm. of people who are considered famous and, you know, they, they're still struggling to pay their rent, you know, and it's like, that's not what we do for. We, we, we move out here because we want to tell stories because we have these people and these stories and these characters inside of us that we have to get out and share. And, you know, the one thing I'm I'm starting to come to terms with is as a filmmaker, um, you know, is is I I don't look for validation, you know, and 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 that was uh, that's something that's very important for me is like I don't I don't look to people to say, man, I really like your movies for me to feel like, okay, great, now I'm a good filmmaker, you know, mm-hmm. it's like. Mm-hmm. I, I need to be confident in myself. I need to be my own worst critic, so I'm constantly pushing myself. But I, you know, I think as a filmmaker, you have to love your own art. You, you have to love it and hate it, but you have to be confident in it and know that's why you're telling that story is that you have something to say. But don't look for validation in people who are like, oh, that's good. You can go make your next one. You know, because right. like I said, if, if yeah. I did that, then I probably would have never made another movie after Madison County because, you know, if you go on IMDb, it, the, it's in a negative review. But the people who walk up to me, like, man, I really like your movie, you know, and, and, and it's like, who do I listen to? I have to listen mm-hmm. to myself. You have to make your own decisions, you know. And so going from that 
I, I try not to look for the validation, but at the same time, the greatest feeling of all time is when you, you, you've acted in a movie or you've written and directed a film and you're sitting in that movie theater and you're feeling people react to it and experience it, it you know, because what we do is such a delayed gratification. You know, it's like I, I, I tell people all the time I envy musicians because they can play music and, and get a reaction right there. You know, they can strum the guitar and people tap their foot and react. Mm-hmm, and yeah. It's such an organic experience. Yeah, it's or very comedian. give and take. Yeah, yeah comedians, live, they yeah. tell a joke and they get a laugh. You know, it's like what we do takes so much time and it's so delayed that you can drive yourself nuts. And like, are they going to like it? If, if this frame is one extra or one gone, you know, it's like, is this better? Is this worse? Is this yeah, whatever? Yeah. And you can get so meticulous about it. And it's like you have to find balance, and it's all about balance, balance between art and commerce, balance between validation and, and confidence. You know, it's like it's a balance between everything. So for me, I look at it as like, you know, understand that balance, and when you understand that balance, you'll find peace. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no arrival. You, you like you find peace when you understand the balance. When yeah. you understand that, that it's always going to be a dance. Yeah. Yeah. There's no like. I think you a learn lot to of love us, the dance. Yeah. And I think a lot of us think like, oh, you know, I'll just put up with this bullshit until the arrival date yeah. and then I'll have the, the magic formula where I just figure it out yeah. and then I'll have to think about it anymore. Yeah. But it's constantly going to be like, you're going to be expending a little bit of energy just keeping the, the balance. Yeah. And that's, that was a revelation for me just to realize that, you know what, it's, it's never going to be something you just do on autopilot. You're no. always going to have to be having your hands in it, just being like, okay, this needs more en- energy right now. Oh, nope. Now this is okay for now, but like, I need more attention over here and that dance is something that's that's uh, just part of the part of the, the process. Absolutely, yeah. I, I wrote in a blog. Uh, I don't remember which one it was. Maybe maybe a few few entries back, but I had a quote in there that was something to the extent of your perspective constantly changes when you're chasing your goals. Because you know, if you would have asked me at at sixteen, seventeen years old, like what when would I know I've made it as a filmmaker? I would say when I can hold my movie on DVD and I can like go mm. to, you know, a blockbuster and pick up my movie on the shelf. <laughs> What's a blockbuster? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's no more blockbuster. So yeah. the, the perspective had to change. The goal had yeah. to change. And it's like, I've been to blockbuster and picked up my movie now. And I didn't feel like I made it. I wanted to do something further. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you yeah. know, the, the people who are like, I'll make it when I get to the Oscar. It's like when they're standing up there holding that statue and giving that speech, they're not thinking like, all right, I can retire now. You know, it's like they're, I'm sure they're going to go home. They're going to party. They're going to drink their face off. And the next day they're going to be like, they're going to call from their agent about their next movie. You know, it's like you're constantly on the grind and you're constantly searching for that. You know, it's, it's that, uh, it's that Patrick Swayze, uh, point break. You know, you're constantly looking for that next high, that that next wave, that next ride, you know? And it's like, that's, that's what this journey as a, as a storyteller, as an artist is about is constantly seeking something you're never going to obtain. And you have to be okay okay with never obtaining it and just enjoying the ride mm-hmm. yeah yeah god that's a good way to put it you just you never it's always within reach you can always see it yeah. but you never quite get it even yeah. when you win an oscar it's always just like well what's next because yeah. the feeling i think that we imagine we'll have yeah of, of completeness yeah never really is there no. even when we're holding that statue yeah and i don't have one so yeah. i don't know but i imagine <laughs> that like you know it'll feel nice yeah 
but it's not like I'm going to be like, okay, yeah, like you said, okay, I can retire now. Yeah. It's not, not the way it works. No, yeah. absolutely not. And that's, we, that's the beauty of, uh, our, our, our world is, you know, yeah. you, you make a movie and people love it and it's like, great. I want them to love this next one. And then if they hate that next one, you're like, great. I can't wait to prove them wrong <laughs> yeah, on the next one. Right. You know, it's like you, yeah. you have to love that journey. I think. Yeah, totally. I'm glad you mentioned your blog too. Cause before we wrap up, I do want to just let people know you've got a great blog. Thank you. And it's just, uh, we'll have it on our website, but it's ericenglin.blogspot.com. Yeah. And, um, what I love about it, and this is another thing we talked about before we started recording, was just that it's a very raw um, look into the emotional ups and downs yeah. of what you're doing. And the, the most recent post, which was, um, oh, I forget what it was called, but it was about basically, you know, going and shooting this music video and wanting to have something to write and moving outside of the horror genre to do a comedy and then yeah. not falling apart and then signing with Gersh. And it was just, it's just really cool to see what goes into to the you know the the life and the career and the business of, yeah. uh, of a filmmaker Thank and you. i think you know a lot of the actors out there i mean like i'm i'm increasingly as we do this show and we sit down with amazing people like yourself and i'm starting to see that you know there's really not much of a difference between an actor and a filmmaker no. or a director and an editor Especially or a producer and uh you know like it's there's really not in terms of lifestyle in terms of approach in terms of what drives us um and in terms of integ- artistic integrity and what yeah. we we look into yeah. So, um, yeah. Awesome. So thank you for what you do. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you for writing about it. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Thank you for being here on the show. Uh, before we wrap up, we have two questions. Yeah. We, uh, we like to ask all our guests. They always Love get interesting them. answers. And the first one is, do you feel like, um, this career path being a filmmaker chose you or do you feel like you chose it? You know, in a weird way, I feel like it chose me. Um, you know, cause, uh, like I said, for the longest time, this was, uh, this was, uh, the bucket list goal, you know? Mm. And, and I was, I was talking to my dad while I was in Arkansas recently and he was like, you know, on my bucket list, he's like, I want to, I want to write a song one day. I want to write a book. I want to, you know, do this. And, and I was like, well then do it. Just do it, you know. I was like, because it was the first time I was talking to my dad about what I've done, and my dad's been one of my biggest supporters, you know. And it's funny, even though your family's there, they don't always know the ins and outs of your own personal journey. Like they were there for the beginning, but they don't know that internal thought oh, process man. of that motivation. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Which, yeah. which was a very weird experience for me to like tell my dad how he affected me and how you know how I he motivated me. But yeah. um, you know, with with his movie choices as a kid, but. Um, you know, so I, I was telling him, I was like, for the longest time, being a movie director was one of those things I was like, I'll get around to it. You know, one day I'll get around to it. And, and then when that, that injury happened, like I said, I can remember the day so vividly. I remember thinking like, all right, this is, this is that sign. This is that moment where I'm supposed to shift gears and go do something else. And, um, you know, like I said, it was so weird. And, and a lot of people have mentioned it to me, like just the, the, the personality change that I had once, Mm -hmm. um, that happened and moved to, to LA and, you know, I was like, I got tunnel vision and I was like, this is, this is what I have to do. And, 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 you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I just got so obsessed with figuring it out, you know, and I, and, and I'd been that way a few times, but it was like, even now it's like, you know, I think, I think the, the truest answer to this is like, you know, I've, I've, I've had relationships suffer because I just, I enjoy working so much. And like I said, understanding that balance, you know, of, of family and work and all that stuff. But it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I wake up every day so excited to work, you know? And it was like, I think when you can do that, you achieve true happiness. And, you know, for me, it's like, I never thought this would be a lifestyle. I never thought you could, you know, I didn't grow up in a place where people were movie directors and movie stars. So I, 
I absolutely think this 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 way of life, you know, because I I was introduced to movies, but movies introduced themselves to me before I introduced myself huh. to movies. You know, it's like yeah. I think if it were the other way around, it was like I read books all day and I'd never seen a movie, and one day I walked into your place and saw your DVD collection. I'm like, what are those? You know, right. and I started discovering it, but it was like my dad was just showing me movies, you know, as a kid. And I didn't, I couldn't comprehend or understand. I just knew I was into it, you know? So it's was like, I think it, it, it's this alluring siren that just kind of draws you to it. And mm. hopefully you don't die. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you don't die. Cut. Yeah. <laughs> Scene. That's great. Uh, and then the second question is if you could take all your experience, all your, all your, uh, the things you've learned in film school, making your films, um, all the kind of obstacles you've come up against, all the, you know, personal and public failures you've had, the personal public victories and successes, take all of that and distill it down into one nugget of advice to pass on to the, somebody, you know, walking on the path behind you. What would that nugget of advice be? It would be balance. For me, that, that is the key word to everything. I think, um, that, that, I've been doing and I've been trying to achieve from here on out because you know you can you can narrow it down and say you got to have passion you got to have this you got but you know it, it's it's that old saying that too much of anything can kill you and and I truly believe that you know I I and I, I chronicle I chronicle this a little bit in, in some of my blog posts but you know I, I went through a really dark time last year because um you know contracted was this weird movie that was um you know undervalued when we were trying to sell it and and underappreciated in some respects by buyers because we were a bunch of kids who just made a movie and then when it got picked up you know we were like oh man we didn't we didn't get bought for as much money as we wanted or whatever and you know we didn't we didn't have a big domestic you know we didn't premiere at sundance or tribeca or anything like that so we were just nervous like oh man we just made you know another mediocre horror film you know and then the movie exploded and howard stern's talking about it. like all these people were talking about it and we we're like wow this is the little movie that could like mm-hmm. we didn't mm-hmm. expect for this to happen you know and 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 that was the the kind of like shining light for me that kind of rejuvenated and i was like wow and it was like i i I hit rock bottom just with personal stuff with family and professional stuff and i couldn't i couldn't get a job and i was literally walking into offices of people i would never walk into and saying hey what do you have can i write can i direct and they you know they were basically like telling me no your 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 movies aren't good enough and i'm like wow i'm not good enough to be here i had so many doors slammed in my face before all the doors opened and the only thing that changed was my movie got released it was the same movie. I was showing it to people. And the same people I was sending Vimeo links to to, hey, watch my movie, and I never heard from them. Suddenly the movie came out in theaters or the trailer got released or Howard Stern was talking about it. And they're like, dude, I heard about your movie. I'd love to meet with you. <laughs> and, and and I actually had people say, hey, did you recut your movie? No, it's the same movie. Same it's just, goddamn it's just one. your perspective yeah, has changed yeah. because, oh, suddenly it's popular. Because the know? context changed. Exactly. Yeah. The context changed. So for me, it's understanding that balance You know, because I used to go full force at things and not take time to slow down. And, and I would focus so much on the art and not the business, hmm. you know, or I would focus so much on what I want and not what my audience want, you know. And so learning, you know, to give a little bit to myself and a little bit to them, you know, is, is, is the best thing that I ever learned. And, and even with my, with my approach now for film, it's like, you know, I'm still doing smaller passion projects and I have bigger movies lined up, but it's great because the bigger movies that I want to do are excited they're not sellout movies they're things i actually want to do 
and then I get to do my passion project. So it's, it's I'm never really giving away anything or doing something I don't want to do. And I'm understanding the the commerce side of it, the the business side of show business with the bigger films. And I'm understanding the show, the artist side, the 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 one that feeds into that creative side that I moved out here for, that I started pursuing. You know, and you know a lot of people forget that when they move out here, they forget that it's it's a business. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you can't sustain in this field without understanding it's a business even the most abstract david lynch directors understood that it was a business you know and that's why they're not making movies today because like their movies aren't as appreciated and it's unfortunate but you know that's the truth is we live in a world nowadays like like we talked about earlier where transformers and ninja turtles are ruling the box office and original content hasn't risen to the surface as king again yet you know we're stuck in this marketing branding world so i think artists have to adapt and that's the balance is there are a lot of people who are like no i'm i'm this guy and and the world needs to to come to my side and it's like no we need to balance out it's fine find move it a little bit shift it a little bit and 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 make it work for you and and i think if if you can be flexible like that and and you know not tip the scales so much you're gonna be a much happier person because the the rules of the game that we play in are definitely different today and and not only will you, will you be happier, I think, but it's what a great example to set for the other people around you. Because I think yeah. so often we take cues from the people around us. Oh, like, absolutely. How is this person responding to this? Oh, they're agitated. I guess it must be a high-stakes situation. Oh, now I'm nervous, too. What's going on, you know? So what a great way to just be uh, an example. And, you know? and not only that, but but the, the big thing, you know, which is, you know, I think podcasts like this are great to do is, you know, like I said, I was that kid on MySpace saying, hey, how did you do it? What did you do? And trying to follow other people's paths. And and once you understand that not everything works the way you want it to or the same way for two people, you know, it's like you understand that it's going to happen the way you want to and you, you be proactive. And if you understand the balance of this business and this game, then you'll be able to make things happen for yourself and not worry about others around you. And you'll just do what you do and people will naturally gravitate, you know, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's what I was saying was when I hit that low time. I, I was like, man, what do I do? Who do I cling to? What what do I what do I gravitate towards for for safety? Because the only thing I had was the rock bottom floor that I was at, you know. And and then suddenly my movie came out, and I you know it was a weird passive experience because it was like the only thing that happened was my movie get went out, and it was my own personal perspective, my own you know soul being exposed, and suddenly everyone was like, oh, I want that. <laughs> and, and I was like, but I was trying to find you guys, you know, so right. learning that yeah. was one of the coolest things that ever happened to me. And, and, and like I said, it, it's something I try to gravitate towards now. And I tell a lot of young filmmakers is just understand the business. Don't go and say, Hey, I want to make the next Reservoir Dogs. I want to be the next Quentin Tarantino, be the next you and understand that Reservoir Dogs would not be the Reservoir Dogs if it were today, if it were made today, it, it is what it is because it was made then by a guy who wanted to be that, you know, mm. so you do what's unique to you. Feel free to be influenced by others, but it's like you do what's instinctive to you and tell the stories that come from inside, and the world will naturally balance itself out around you, and you'll, like you said, it'll, you'll be happier, and everyone else will be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. God. Amen. That's great, man. <laughs> That's great. So if people want to find you online, yeah. uh, you have a Twitter account? I do. I Facebook? have a Twitter. It's at Eric underscore England. I have you know an Instagram, a Facebook, Eric England on all, on, all across. I'm Sweet. a very... Uh, 
accessible filmmaker. I love to talk. I love to uh, talk shit back to people who want to tweet me negative reviews, <laughs> tell me to go kill myself. So um, it's 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 a lot of fun. I love I love the internet. Awesome, cool. Yeah. And then uh, and then you've got a couple films that people can watch on Netflix as well. Yeah, so Contracted's yeah. on there. Contracted is on Netflix Instant right now, and I want to. I don't know if Madison County's still on the DVD service. It was on Instant. It kind of fluctuates, but okay. um, but I want to say it's still on the DVD service. And uh, if not, they're both on iTunes and Amazon and all that jazz, and even on eBay, which was weird to me. Yeah. <laughs> right on. So yeah. those two big ones, Madison County and Contracted, and then, yeah. and then Roadside, which we talked about, which yeah. I saw the trailer for, has not been released yet, but hopefully soon. Yeah, yeah. That I, I think there will be some news about that shortly, and then, uh, yeah, a couple cool things on the horizon. Great. Yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, thanks for, so much for taking the time to sit down Dude, with us. It's been you. really, really cool. Absolutely. I know I had a blast. I've learned a ton. Uh, I know our listeners are going to be really grateful as well to cool. uh, have had the chance to kind of hear what you had to say so yeah thanks very much man dude thank you hey everyone welcome back to the bookends hopefully you uh got a lot out of the interview with uh or Trevor's interview with Eric England. Trevor's parts. Yeah, you know, it's it's pretty Tre- cool. Tre- Trevor's parts. Trevor's parts. <laughs> yes. Eric and Trevor's <laughs> parts, the third part of their parts. It um you know, it's pretty cool cuz Eric talks a lot about the f- kind of the feature film, you know, distribution and making a feature f- like just that format and I just had a, a great interview with uh, an actress and filmmaker named Bria Grant that's going to be coming up uh soon. And um, she made a really compelling case for web stuff, for going with the web stuff. And, you know, I've been thinking and talking a little bit on the podcast about how, like, you know, when I hear the word web series, and and Bria and I even talk about this in the interview, I hear the word web series, and I kind of think, immediately I think, about all the kind of junk out there on the internet. Like, the web series that, you know, people make with no attention to, like, sound or real story arc or character development and... You know, you know what I mean? Like, we've all seen mm-hmm. those, those web series. But uh, she makes a really compelling case for the kind of pros of going with the web format as, a, as opposed to the sort of, um, I don't know, like, like I, we, we refer to it as, like, the, the legitimacy factor of a film versus a web series. So uh, it'll be an interesting kind of contrast uh, as, we, as we kind of move through the next uh, batch of conversations here. So mm-hmm. I hope you enjoyed Eric's thing. Take away uh, all of it because it was all great accurate awesome information and now we're going to get another viewpoint in the next uh, few episodes so uh what's your pick of the week man uh my pick of the week i mentioned it in the dispatch and it also goes along with what we were talking about earlier with the people's climate march um it is called avaz i think is how you pronounce it dot org uh, Jasmine actually brought this to my attention. So www.avaaz.org. We'll have it on our website. Um, I don't know what to call it necessarily because it's not really a just a website. It's more of a movement. Um, mm. huh, that sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it they basically are uh, the the they're basically leading the charge toward you know uh taking care of planet earth so they have obviously a focus on on climate um climate change and you know we're really um involved with the climate march 
and you can become a, a member just you know by going and getting information at the website but you can also um donate to the uh, the various causes and what's cool about uh the donations is you can see them in action so like when i was sitting on the subway and looking at at sort of I, I don't know if you can call them advertisements reminders that the climate march was coming and the date and and and, all, and the location and all of that at the very bottom it said and i i noticed this uh after being introduced to this website it said this this ad or this you know this poster or whatever provided direct from direct donations from uh, uh, members of avaz.org so in other words like if i i haven't yet started to you know get into the to donating and subscribing so to speak i put that in air quotes because that's how we you know describe it if you subscribe to the sure to the to become a patron yeah i haven't become a patron basically of their of their service yet but um had i i would be sitting on the subway like looking at what my money was going towards which i thought was really cool and the i think the most cool thing about what they do on their website is they talk about um victories so it's not just about like you know you know start a petition and give us money and become a member and 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 learn and get involved but they also will say like you know we 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 put our energy and focus into this thing and these were the results like look at how cool uh you know we 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 preserved this you know this this particular marine habitat for Mm. these tortoises in this part of the world and like let's all celebrate that so it's very similar to what we were talking about earlier with like al gore um focusing on the hope aspect Mm -hmm. this this website is not about doom and gloom you know it's about what you know here's what's going on in the world here's how you can get involved and here here's where we're actually making progress and i i just that that to me is is very i mean they have a whole section it's it's right up at the top you'll see it when you visit the website they have a whole section that's that's called victories and you can go in and just read through all the different you know legislative things that they've accomplished and etc cetera, etc cetera. it's it's very cool this is cool what does a vaz stand for is that an acronym or is that just a i have word? no idea <laughs> okay i should actually I, I should go i didn't actually look them up on w- wikipedia hmm. that might be helpful uh, watch me find out that they're like an evil yeah. organization that, that, that was actually on my that was something i thought of when i was looking at this website i just clicked on one of the links and i was uh, as you were talking i was just um exploring it and it it doesn't give it just says donate now and then it has a little kind of progress bar for you know i I don't know it's just one of these things where i i'm all for the cause but i have to wonder uh how much of my donation is going towards you know um a sort of you know quote-unquote exorbitant salary of somebody heading these causes up or uh the you know going to research or the actual cause like that whole ice bucket challenge thing you know when they actually like broke uh-huh. down the numbers, and it turns out that like like six of the people heading the organization were making like well over six figures a year, uh, you know, just doing their thing. And I'm not I'm not against that. I'm, I'm really not. I think people should be paid well for what they do. But when you saw the pie chart, and who knows how true this was, but I think there's probably a kernel of truth to it. When you saw the pie chart about how the funds were distributed, 
um, a very, very, very minute fraction of it was was actually going towards research and, and development and outreach and things like that. Almost all of it was towards like marketing uh, and um, salary and and things like that. I think I think that they. I don't know. It's fine. The internet's so full of freaking misinformation. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. But I think they. I think the there was something that came out after that pie chart that you're referring to that said that that pie chart was actually like a like a red. It was it was like, like a, somebody made it up. Like somebody made it yeah. up. Yeah, basically yeah. just to piss people off. Um, but you're right in that there probably is a kernel of truth in like. Well, there's at least a kernel of truth in asking the questions like where where is my where's my money going yeah, you know what i mean yeah um i w- I, I, I will say this like, like you don't have i'm not asking you to give these people money not you but you know the sure. royal you yeah. uh our listeners um i'm not asking anyone to give these people money it's just a great resource it's it you know it, if you want to find out how to get involved in your particular area if you want to find out what causes are sort of uh, or, or what what things are sort of affecting us as human beings uh, across the globe um Etc. Etc. It's just a great place to be, sort of plugged into um, civic change. Yeah, totally. If anything, it just raises awareness of some of these key issues. Yeah, and, exactly. And it's not just climate change. You know, yeah, human rights. It's it's everything. Animal, I'm looking at the bee stuff and Monsanto, and there's human rights yeah. issues. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you know it, it, it raises awareness, and I'm all for com- companies and services and websites that kind of you know. Uh, mm, I guess put put this all stuff all this stuff together in one place and make it easy for people to learn and make it very easy for people to take action and if the easiest action is sending them $5 or $20 or whatever it is then that's great but if if I feel like if you really are interested and passionate about a cause like you'll do a lot of research on it because you'll want to know more and you may you may not just want to throw some money at it and then feel like you can sleep better at night like I feel like if you if you feel very passionate about it uh, you know, there's a lot of things you can do besides just kind of, like I said, throw money at the problem. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's great. I donate to several causes every month. But, you know, you can blog about it. You can make a podcast about it. You can tweet about it. You can organize a, a, a talk or a community event of some kind, a screening maybe. I mean, there's lots of things you can do besides just donating. So I'm all for websites like this. I think it's amazing. And I'm totally going to take the time to poke through this. But I just want to invite people to... Um, think outside the box a little bit when it comes to some yeah. of these causes as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and that yeah, exactly, and and that's actually more of the reason why I am ta- am making it my pick. It's like you know, it's not about going and and like you said, throwing money at the problem. This is this is much more about you know finding out the different ways you can get involved, finding out what's going on and your country or maybe your home country or maybe you're listening to this and you don't live in the united states and there's stuff going on you know in your in in your country in your your area of this Mm. planet that we all share totally cool man well that's i i totally dig the pick i just bookmarked it i'm looking forward to digging through and just seeing about what's going on and i love that there's a victories page so my pick of the week is uh, a movie called Mission Blue. I actually changed my pick of the week from something else, which it will be next week because of uh, of AJ's pick. And Aww. Mission Blue is a, a documentary <laughs> that you can find on Netflix. I believe it's only released on Netflix, and 
it's uh, it's fantastic. I'm drawing a blank on the woman's name, but it follows the the name of this woman who's a scientist and an activist, and she was actually the head of uh, oh jeez, I don't know some intergovernmental panel on environment stuff. I'm doing an awful job of pitching this movie because I saw it a few weeks ago and it, it had been a little while since I thought about it. But great movie. It's on Netflix Instant and she basically talks about putting together these marine reserves in the ocean, what she calls hope spots. And that was something I saw on the avaz.org website as we were talking about it. Was uh, One of the causes was these sort of marine reserves where the coral reefs and the, you know, the fish populations and whatnot can kind of regenerate themselves. Uh, because these spaces will be uh, free from shipping lanes and fishing and um, you know garbage dumping and things like that. So uh, really cool documentary. And since this episode seems to be very much about environmental stuff, uh, check it out. Mission Blue. <laughs> this 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 episode in particular, for yeah. sure. It's yeah. <laughs> we have like spent so much of this episode talking about it. That's great. Yeah. Well, it's That's it's awesome. in the like you said, it's in the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. So we have a uh, IAP team pick of the week from our community manager, Deborah Smith. Her pick of the week is Cameron Diaz's book, The Body Book. Uh, I haven't read it, but um, she says it's basically a really thorough uh, and sort of sensitive look at uh, how your body works and how to take care of it. And she said it's kind of geared towards women, but that there's something in there for everybody. So there's a link to that on our website. Thank you, Deborah. Uh, our patron of the week is Sarah Bushnell, uh, formerly uh, Sarah, I believe, Sarah Albanese. Uh, she's a New York City-based actor, although she studied nutrition at Cornell University. Her true passion is acting. And since graduating in 2013, she has traversed the globe to continue her acting studies, training everywhere from her rural hometown in upstate New York all the way to Sydney, Australia, and finally in New York City, which she now calls home. You haven't met her or anything, have you, AJ? I have. I was, no, I was, I was actually waiting for you to finish reading her bio so I could say, Sarah, send the podcast an email and, and let's grab coffee. Yeah, totally. Um, totally. I love, I mean, you, you've, if you've listened, if anyone has listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know that Trevor and I both enjoy uh, meeting, um, you know, listeners and, and hanging out and getting to know them and getting to know their stories and stuff. So, yes, Absolutely. please. That's, that's like the best part, yeah. Uh, in her free time, Sarah enjoys cooking, hiking, reciting monologues to anyone who will listen, and sometimes that means her dog, uh, and dreaming up her next travel destination. So, uh, obviously, fascinating person, up to a lot of cool things. I hope uh, you and her get to connect, AJ, and anybody yeah, uh, me too. Anybody listening to this, head to our patron page to kind of um, learn more about her. And, uh, and Sarah, thank you for your support. Can't wait to see what's next on your journey. That's really exciting, man. I love the travel aspects, particularly. That's really cool. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Deborah Smith, our own Deborah Smith, has uh, had a had a similar path. You yeah, know, went out to yeah. went out to Australia. And it's crazy, crazy, it's crazy, it's crazy life, man. Cool. Anything else to add before we wrap this bad boy up? Uh, I think that's it. Um, yeah, I guess we're good. So um, here, let's try it, Trev. For Jen Levin, our uh, production coordinator, uh, Cesar Gaminio, our technical producer, Dolly Gubrick, our marketing and web director, Deb Smith, our community manager, and of course, all of our patrons uh, who are the fuel in the tank. No, what did we say this is going to be? Like the electricity and the battery? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> that keeps the wheels turning. Um, if you want to find out about that entire team, you can check out our website, 
You can go to our Twitter. You can go to our Facebook. You can go to our iTunes. You can go to our patron page. And you, too, can become a patron by donating to the podcast. Am I doing this right? Yeah. I feel like I'm screwing this up, dude. You're rocking it. (laughs) Um, You can uh, donate to the podcast, either a one-time donation or a monthly recurring donation to help us keep the wheels turning on this bus. And, you know, you you might be a patron of the week, just like Sarah. Who knows? You never know. You have to donate in order to find out. Um... How else can they find us? Is that it? Uh, I mean, yeah, you said iTunes and all that stuff. I did. We're on the web. I mean, yeah, just do a search for Inside Acting Podcast and, and we'll be there. <laughs> we will. We yeah. will. We yeah. will just appear. If you do, if you type Inside Acting Podcast into Google, we will bamf into your face. <laughs> Poof! Just right there. Poof! Right in your face. Poof! All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so for, for, for everyone involved, I'm AJ Meyer. Oof, I'm nervous about this. I'm Trevor Algott. Uh, Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, have hope for the climate. Yes! That was awesome! I got nervous. This episode of Inside Acting has been brought to you in part by VO2Gogo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2Gogo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2Gogo.com slash start.